Thank you for waking up bright and early with us this Sunday morning. This is South Florida Sundays. I'm your host, Trey Brazier. Every single week, I'm joined by Patrick Franklin. He is the Urban League Palm Beach County president. How are you today, sir? Good morning, Trey. It's always a pleasure to be here on a Sunday morning with you. Absolutely. Our special guest today is Dr. Patricia Sharon. She is a pediatric cardiologist. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, Trey? Pretty good. Good morning. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning, Dr. Sharon. Um, It is a pleasure to have you here because... Uh, For many weeks now, we've been talking in many different categories um, about community policing, about politics, about a whole lot of different things. Today, we're going to talk about health. We're going to talk about how we help our community, our black and brown community and others to survive this this horrendous wave of health issues that, that we most often overlook. And in our community, in our culture, we don't do anything until it's too late or until that finger falls off or that, or that leg doesn't work anymore. <laughs> but you are a specialist. You are a pediatric cardiologist. How did you get started in that field? Well, pediatric cardiology is a subspecialty of a specialty cardiology. Uh-huh. So I really got started in the field because of my mother, you know, with respect to health care disparities. Mm-hmm. As a young child in the 20s and 30s, uh, 40s, she developed uh, rheumatic carditis. That is a strep throat that turns into a rheumatic fever. And as the years went on, as we were growing up, she started having symptoms of heart failure, uh, probably a valve was leaking. She would have episodes where her heart literally raced. And I can remember we were shopping once, we used to stop, we sat in the car. Instead of calling 911, mm-hmm. and I don't even know if there was 911 in those days, Back then. while her heart raced. And she said, oh, it'll end. And so we sat there, and it ended, and we continued shopping. Well, that's a health care disparity. Yes. And I uh, was convinced I was going to become a cardiologist and help my mother. Uh, well, uh, it didn't happen that way. I, but as you go to medical school, you rotate through different specialties. And mm-hmm. when I got to pediatrics, I knew that was my specialty. Not only do I love children, but I actually loved adults more, and it was hard for me to see them suffer. I was just related to adults. But I love children. I could see where really the advancement of pediatrics and pediatrics cardiology was needed. I just really felt that they weren't doing their job. Um, I went to medical school in Baylor College of Medicine, Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. Very proud of that. Yes. yes, very proud of that. Huge medical center where every subspecialty known to medicine was available, uh, from cancer to genetics. It was exciting. Um, but I, I went into pediatric cardiology. They were leading the field there. Pediatric cardiologist for a second is um, the study of holes in the children's heart, Valves that are switched around, valves that never developed, uh, narrowing of the aorta. It's a congenital. That means you're born with it, heart defect. Right. But in the other sense, you don't hear about that. Yes, it's very rare, and you need a population of a million to um, create a practice in pediatric cardiology. But we start seeing other things that pediatrics didn't handle, things like high blood pressure, obesity, hyperlipidemia. And that's what we're here to talk about today because they're the plagues of our community. Absolutely. Um, what, what signs are there in, in our children that, that parents can be on a lookout for if, if there's even an inkling that they may have a, a, a child cardiologist that, that, that's needed? Well, I mean, what, what signs should, should a parent look for? You know, definitely, definitely pay attention to chest pain. Um, 
many of the heart defects are going to be picked up by the pediatricians, whether in the hospital as a newborn um, or as a outpatient. They start listening to even a four-year-old and they hear a murmur. They send them directly to pediatric cardiology. Um, but let's say between that time, the parent may notice your child is not running and playing as hard as the other children. I've had parents say, you know, in the more simple defects that were significant and needed repair, their child would run and play and the heart would be pounding and after it. And they ran out of it. breath and all yeah, that. And yeah, they're out of breath. Mm-hmm. Those are the things to look for. A pallor, but definitely, please, if the child says, my heart is beeping or mm-hmm. racing, mm-hmm. pay attention to that. Also, if the child... Um, If the child has chest pain or definitely if the child passes out, definitely probably head to the emergency room and have it checked out. Of course, of course. Now, are minorities, black and brown children, are they more susceptible to pediatric cardiology episodes or or is that a trend that that doesn't really run in, in our community? What? Well, actual cardiac defects don't particularly run in the community you will see uh, the more simple defects like an open vein called a ductus Mm -hmm. or um, maybe an open atrial septal defect. You'll see those in premature children. So as we're going to get into the fact that there's more prematurity in the black and brown community, Mm -hmm. so you'll see that type of simple defect. But the complex defects are just broad-based. They have a small genetic component. Uh, some do run in families, um, but no, you're not going to see like uh, a mass of congenital heart disease in black and brown communities. Some heart defects are related to taking drugs, especially cocaine. Um, those medications can cause left heart lesions. Mm-hmm. So you might see that, but it's not specific it's not to specific the black to that, or right. brown community. No. Okay. Well, um, how 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 does a parent? Um, React. You said if they have an episode to, to immediately seek uh, medical uh, assistance. But, you know, sometimes in our community we always say that a poor diet, uh, lack of exercise, all these type of things may lead up to other issues. Is that associated with, with cardiac uh, issues in, in, in children at all? Yes, it is. Uh, a poor diet. Let's, let's define a poor diet. You know, we... In the broad sense, we don't have a lack of food. We we have an abundance of food, thank God, you know. Right. But we're eating the wrong, the wrong kind, kind of foods. Uh, we're eating foods that are pre-prepared. Even if you're buying that that product that and you're popping process, it in a that, that processed pro- that processed food, foods, right? Yes, that food is higher in salt. Mm-hmm. It's higher in fats. They're going to use a, a nice fatty meat to make it really taste good. Right. Um, and we fry and, things a lot. Right. And I'm from Louisiana. Everything's fried. Everything's fried. <laughs> yes, I know. Yes. I know. I had patients from Belgrade visit. We fry the food, you know, yeah. and go, oh, no, you know, we have to head in a different direction. I was just going to add a lot of your prepackaged foods are going to have um, preservatives. Yes. And the effect of preservatives on the body, we really don't know. Right. By and large, they're minimal, but. Fresh to better. But stay, stay away from those 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 very high sodium foods and, and that pre-processed mm-hmm. and pre-packaged stuff. That mm-hmm. uh, I was going to say, the high salt foods are hidden from us. They're, they're in there's something called monosodium glutamate. What mm-hmm. is that? Well, that's the active ingredient of soy sauce. So if you're eating foods that are high in soy sauce, wow. watch it. 
And I had a lot of teenagers, one of their favorite foods, I think it's less now, were like ramen noodles. Oh, and yes, noodles. the Chinese takeout and all right. that. Yeah. And if you look at your package of ramen noodles, it says one half of this package is a serving size. So we're eating the whole package and it says one half serving has like 800 milligrams of salt. So you're eating up to 1,600 milligrams of salt. So, Even enough salt for a week in, in, in one intake. Right. Wow. That, uh, just stopping that has yeah. corrected yeah. the hypertension in some teenagers. Well, yeah. let's, let, let's kind of migrate into this uh, childhood obesity. Because mm-hmm. when, when, you, when you look at childhood obesity and you see uh, as time goes on, when, when we were in school, we had recess. We had playtime. We had all kind of we, we, we played after school. We weren't using our video machines and all this. We weren't inside. We were outside. That doesn't happen today. Right. That, I mean, uh, PE today in, in today's school is so different, mm-hmm. and it's almost a forced-upon item where they're checking the box and making you walk around the track one or two times, and, and then that's it. But that, that's not real physical education. What are some of the things that we can do to help our parents and our children right now prevent childhood obesity because we see it when, when, what we eat and then it comes into how we look right you know let's get away from the look because people who have problems with weight they feel like they're being picked on we're talking about improving your health improving right. the way you feel when you get up out of the bed improving that mental attitude i want to do more i want to you know just carrying that weight around really tires you out i really patrick i would say that mothers start at an early age with your child you know put the baby in a stroller and take him out so the baby can feel fresh air right in all types of seasons of course not out in the electric storm right but you know they're not gonna melt in rain mm-hmm. <laughs> so take them to the park young children toddlers put them on the swing you know carefully let them slide down the slides let them feel that playing is fun um have set up little games that they can um appreciate like chasing other kids mm-hmm. uh kicking mm-hmm. the ball tag, tag. chase these well, are, all these things right. yeah and these develop into games like soccer basketball football is pretty you know it has its, its like football but yes yeah, yeah. life um exercise bicycle riding please there's so many children that don't even know how to ride a bicycle because mom and dad hasn't taken the time to get them out to ride the yeah. bicycle and please parents if you're saying the bicycle's too expensive there are places we'll that find ways to you. get them one. Yeah, we'll find a way to get them one. We have Dr. Patricia Sharon in for us as our guest today for a South Florida Sunday. She is a pediatric cardiologist. I'm Trey Brazier along with my co-host, Mr. Patrick Franklin of the Urban League, Palm Beach County. Let, let's get back to that physical fitness that, that mm-hmm. really um, uh, turns into good health practices because uh, all too often the basic thing, even walking, just walk with your children. Walk around the block. Walk, walk to the park and back. Um, for those who live in in, in subdivisions and in other areas, walk walk around the development. Right. But I mean, a, a lot of our kids don't swim. They don't know how to swim. Yes. You know, and, and and that's really a shame, especially that we live here in South Florida, mm-hmm. where there's water everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and not not that we want you to be an Olympic swimmer, but we want you to be able to save yourself if you ever need to be in a situation where you're in the water. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, we look at many different things, but that childhood obesity, what what type of things are being uh, are in place right now to help our children? Well, the pediatricians have become more aware of it. It is hard for them to take the time. 
there's a lot of a short fragment of time to work with the well child. So they refer the child to people like myself. Okay. And we have more time on our schedule, plus the love of talking about childhood obesity and getting that health back into order. Uh, referrals are there, referrals to nutritionists. You know, it's interesting that most children have uh, a medical uh, insurance mm-hmm. uh, because of healthy kids, as you know. Uh, most kids have health insurance. So it's through, not through a, the schools, through ba- the schools basically. Yes, right. Yeah, right. through the schools, through Medicaid. So um, those referrals are important. Um, let's say the parent has a private insurance and the um, co pays are very high. You know, get online, read about it. Read about right. nutrition. How does someone get in touch with you if, if they have questions or, or want to seek your assistance <laughs> or, or, or your services? Uh-huh. T. Leroy Jefferson Medical Society. That would be the best way to get in touch with me. Uh, TLJMedicalSociety.org is our uh, website. Um, and a young lady, either Laurel or Sadia, will take your call and we'll, we'll direct good. you. I'll talk to you, whatever. But that you can see that this is my love. Um, Also, I want to just say we mentioned for a second the the games. Please, parents, you know that is no exercise. It leads to nothing. Limit the amount of time that the child is on the television or on their little video Video games. games, All that. Take them away at night. I have patients who stay up late at night playing video games. They're destroying their sleep. Uh, You know. Lack and of sleep, a child should have obesity. at yeah. least how many hours of sleep in, in the age uh, age brackets? We try to go for eight hours of sleep. Okay, I know a lot of the teenagers in uh, high school they aren't getting enough sleep because of the sports, the other activities, and the the tests in school. But they catch up for it on the weekend. You know, we all go through that period, and I'm not gonna try to modify that but stop the video games and the television and all the extracurricular stuff have them package that into a, a specific time and they'll enjoy it more mm-hmm. I, I noticed in, in your bio that you actually do a lot of work or do some work with mental health and in infants yes. uh, talk about that for a second I, I thought that, that that was kind of fascinating that is fascinating we tend not to think of infants as having the ability to think. We know they respond, but no one pays attention really to the response. Uh, When we talk about mental health in infants, we're really talking about how an abnormal lifestyle from society or their parents is affecting them. Because by and large, your infant is a happy person unless they have, you know, a congenital heart problem or other types of illness that infants can be born with and hopefully are being taken care of by your medical professional. But infants who are, believe it or not, yelled at, infants yelled Mm -hmm. at, infants who are deprived of routine feeding, um, they become anxious, they develop an inward personality, they tend not to want to um, migrate into other relationships as they get older. they, it may bulge into uh, anger, um, also other health problems such as asthma um, are more prevalent in those children. 
That was done in a study actually by a black pediatrician in the San Francisco area. Yes, the original study was called Adverse Childhood Experiences and was by Dr. Burke. It really developed um, national attention because what she did in her practice, she realized that children who had experienced things like lack of a home, that the parents were moved out of their home, Mm -hmm. or that the child was moving from place to place and unsure of the next meal, uh, the child was yelled at or traumatized, whether it didn't was feel sexual that, abuse. Didn't feel that love from, from the parents. Right. They developed right. issues. Right. They developed issues. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a whole study, and they actually then migrated to adults, mm-hmm. that adults who've had those experiences get sick more often. They develop type 2 diabetes. They develop asthma. It seems unrelated, but it's internalized. And maybe even perhaps... Anger, right. where people internalize their anger toward themselves. That goes along with something we were talking about before we started the, the, the show, um, how family issues trickle down to the children. And it could be health issues, it could be a whole lot of things, but if, if it runs in the family um, that you have different me- uh, medical issues, it's a good possibility that it could go down to the children eventually, correct? Correct. Um, children learn by parents. By, uh, parenting, but they learn by patterning. And that pattern can come from a cousin, an uncle, anyone. We talked about, in this instance, Patrick, we were talking about opioid abuse. Yes. How does it trickle down to someone under the age of 18 by things that they've seen? Maybe they've heard from a relative, oh, when I get high, I feel like the world is wonderful. And that teen, which is a a turbulent time of life, Maybe he wishes inside of himself an escape, and he says, I'll try that. Accessibility to opioids, et cetera. Yes, accessibility. Mm -hmm. Um, As opioids become cheaper, as they're on the street, even, Patrick, we realize that some children are given opioids in a real uh, serious manner as a part of analgesia from, like, um, dental Dental? extraction. Right, right. And it becomes a habit. Some kids... Take a tablet or two, and it's nothing. It just sits in the refrigerator or wherever. Some children pull it out on a rainy day and take two tablets. They continue the opioid abuse. Some share it with their ch- their friends. Mm-hmm. So opioid abuse is occurring in our, our community, and I thankfully the legislature has been um, sensitized to that, and they put some restrictions on how many opioid analgesics you can give you can get, to yeah. people. Uh, if a child had a pain uh, from a soccer in- incident, they'd be given opioids in the ER. Wow. Um, it, uh, now, also, we're talking about behaviors trickling down. Unfortunately, not commonly, but we're seeing an increased incidence of children exposed to IV opioids. And so that's a whole nother health situation that's it's wow. horrifying. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we, we live in, in an in a area that's opioid overdose basically from where we live here in in south florida and then on top of that we have this fentanyl onslaught crisis right now that that you know that's really everywhere right now Mm -hmm. and it just broke my heart um, a couple weeks ago when we had that infant that was at an airbnb right here in in palm beach county that the parents rented the unit and the child died because there was traces of fentanyl in the home that they rented Right. Wow. That that that's that's heartbreaking. 
Yes, that is true. Um, we can't be too careful. And what can I say? You know, young adults having a party with a little bit of cocaine on a, you know, a, a piece of paper, you know, help yourself, and a child is playing around, or it falls on the floor and a child is crawling across the floor, a child is at risk. Also, methadone um, may be in the home, as well as uh, naloxone. It's not good for a child to overdose mm -hmm. on. Actually, a prescribed a or prescribed painkiller. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Our guest this week is Dr. Patricia Sharon. She is a pediatric cardiologist. I'm Trey Brazier along with Patrick Franklin, who is my co-host here for South Florida Sundays. Let's let's uh, switch gears for a second um, and talk about, you mentioned the Tilly Roy Jefferson Medical Society. Mm -hmm. I know a little bit about it, but a lot, of, a lot of our listeners really don't. It's been around for 75 years. Talk to us a little bit about the Tilly Roy Jefferson Medical Society. Right. You know, Tilly Roy Jefferson was the first physician of color in Palm Beach County. He was called the bicycle physician. He made house calls on a bicycle, and sometimes mm -hmm. he was paid in terms of corn or uh, maybe a Butter, chicken or two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's an interesting history, but the history uh, is kind of shrouded in sadness in that other doctors made black patients the last person they saw. That, or that day. Yeah. That day. Uh, I can remember what influenced me. You were asking to become a physician. I remember a little lecture, a uh, little preaching in church where a black patient was really sick, and he sat in the waiting room of a white doctor, and he said he's really sick, and all the patients were seen first. And when they went to that patient, he had died sitting in his chair. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were the last scene. Mm -hmm. And... I knew in my heart, you know, I was changing that, and I think I have made some inroads Absolutely. over the years. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. How how many? Uh, okay, who, what? Who are the members of T. Leroy Jefferson right now? They're, they're not just doctors. Yeah, they're not just doctors. Um, we have doctors from all specialties: anesthesiology, general practice. We have chiropractitioners. We have. Um, oh, we have nurse practitioners. In fact, one of my friends was a nurse who joined the group. She went on to get her nurse practitioner. She's an ARNP now, and I'm very proud of her. So we're an inspiring group. We inspire others to go on. Um, we inspire others to have speaking opportunities and tell about what they do. Um, we go out and we mentor. We have activities in Belglade at uh, Glades Central where we um, help students apply for college. We have a little course that mm -hmm. they attend on Saturdays and learn to apply for college. We give out scholarships to about four students out there. Um, we actually work with the George Snow Foundation. I read 40 mm -hmm. uh, applications for, for scholarships. For scholarships. Yes, yes. So we do a lot of things. Uh, we work with the uh, Children's Research Council and Healthy Mothers, Healthy Children. Uh, we're doing a study with uh, with them right now on um, mothers and pregnant women and hypertension. That is the big elephant in the room. It will uh, probably concern most of the people out in the audience that probably uh, 58 mothers who are pregnant out of 100,000 will die in the United States because they're pregnant from wow. hypertension and the preeclampsia, eclampsia-related illnesses. Some of their infants will die. Many of them will be born prematurely because when that mother becomes 
hypertensive mm-hmm. and looks as if she's about to stroke or even before that, they'll deliver the baby. Well, that's a premature baby now. So there's all sorts of associations with prematurity. The World Health Organization looks down upon the United States in that one particular aspect of health care that there's right. preventable disease in mothers, pregnant mothers, and it's not being approached properly in the United States. Well, I'm going to hold that topic for, for our next discussion later down the line because that's very important. How, once again, how can someone get in touch with T. Leroy Jefferson or get in touch with you? Uh, actually, through T. Leroy Jefferson Medical Society, uh, tljmedicalsociety.org. Um, our phone number is there. Uh, you can speak with Laurel or Sadia. Uh, they are the CEO and the administrator. They will find me and organize what your, your quest, request is, and we'll, we'll address it. My last question is, as always, um, during our um, morning show is, what's next for Dr. Sharon? <laughs> you know, very interesting, Patrick. I, I love what I do. I love um, teaching, but I also love writing. And um, there are topics that I feel pressed to write about. I think my latest book, which should be coming out in a week, is A Story with No Name. Mm-hmm. And it developed as a finding of a an old truck from my parents' best friends, uh, a lady who passed away. And we opened the truck, and we always thought, you know, the husband was clearly black. The wife was very light-complected. We never thought anything about it. And we opened the trunk, and there was a white man in the trunk. And there was a, a cabin built of stone. I said, Dad, who are these people? Because he knew her very well. He said, that's her father. So I developed a book recording the life of the mother and the daughter and how they must have lived in the uh, early 1900s in the Jim Crow area, how this could have happened in the state of Mississippi. So the book actually is pretty impactful, has a lot of insight on life and how you make it when um, all the odds are against you. Well, we're going to have to have you back so we can discuss the book (laughs) uh, for, for another discussion. It's been a pleasure, Dr. Sharon, to talk to you this morning about pediatric cardiology and all those other adversely things that are affecting our children and our families. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Patrick. Thank you also, Trey. Thank you so much for coming in, and thank you all for listening. South Florida Sundays, I'm Trey Brazier, Patrick Franklin from the Urban League. Thank you so much. Have a great day.